Good morning. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for another day. We pray this morning that we be encouraged to live in light of the resurrection, that we'd be transformed people that can shed a, a light on your gospel and bring hope to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be here on Youth Sunday and see so many of you here and all the high school students that are helping today. And my apologies to Elizabeth for making her read that entire chapter, but she did a great job. So I don't know if you guys remember much about your high school days. For those of you who are out of high school, hopefully the ones who are in high school are remembering something. But when it came to my academics, I don't remember a whole lot, except for my senior year, I had an English teacher, and we were very bad in her class. For 17, 18-year-olds, we acted like we were 12 or 13, and I think she punished us by giving us kind of disturbing books to read. And uh, one of them that she had us read has made a lasting impact on my life, and it was called On the Beach by Neville Shute. And it was a post-apocalyptic uh, novel uh, set in uh, after World War III. And radiation clouds uh, from all the atomic bombs that went off everywhere had destroyed pretty much every continent except for Australia. So the book is set, and it talks about the different lives of these people who are just waiting for the radiation clouds to come and to kill them. So they have limited time left on Earth, just a few months. And it's very interesting how they uh, behaved. Some of them went crazy. Let's party. It's the end of the world. Let's party like it's 1999, so to speak. They were, you know, drinking, uh, doing whatever they could just to kind of live out their days and sort of a, a, you know, numb themselves and not really think about things. Some of them uh, got into car racing, had these super dangerous uh, car races across uh, Australia and oftentimes ended in death, but they were just kind of, let's go out in a blaze. For others, they kind of denied it was happening. They planted gardens they would never see. They uh, made plans that they would never actually be able to have. And then for others, they were a little bit more uh, sober about things and more practical. There was a group of older men who liked to fish, and they had a group meeting and decided that it was important to push fishing season up a few months since in a few months there wouldn't be anything around. So you had people like that. And then you had the very practical, the, uh, the main character in the play, who was the dutiful military man who, till the very end, as a captain, a submarine, he did his duty to see if they could find any life out there on Earth, and there was none. But to the very end, he did his duty. You know, the reason I think this novel had a uh, great impact on me is as a 17, uh, turning 18-year-old, I kind of thought I was invincible. I never really thought much about death. I had nobody in my family die. And you kind of feel like you're going to live forever when you're that age. Then this teacher gave me this book, and I'm like, wow, what would I do if I only had a limited time left? How would my life be different? The summer before I had uh, made a decision to follow Christ, I'd become a Christian. And I remember having that camp high, and for a month or two afterwards, I was very excited about my faith, but that started to kind of fade away, and I started, you know, becoming the same old Steve and doing the same old stuff. And, you know, slowly it was kind of fading, and I was thinking about that too, you know, my relationship with God. Why is that not all that it could be? I don't know if, if you're like me, but I think most of us, if we're very honest with ourselves, that often, just like the characters in this book, we spend our lives on the trivial, the things that aren't important. We try to get busy just to pass the time. We don't want to think about our end because it's, you know, depressing. 
I saw a bumper sticker years ago on a car, and it, it made me laugh, but it, it's kind of true. It said, Jesus is coming. Look busy. So I think even in church, we can do that. Let's just get involved with a lot of stuff. Let's keep our lives as full as possible so we don't have to think about things. We don't have to think about pain or, or anything like that. But uh, I think, unfortunately, the result of that is oftentimes we keep God at arm's length. Sometimes it's because of uh, forgiveness issues. We understand in our mind that Christ forgave us, but it's never really come into our heart. We feel shame about the things that we have done. My father's generation, he went to Korea, and uh, many of his buddies and, uh, who were, and the older ones who were in World War II and then the Vietnam and all the, the war vet, they came back and many of them had seen such terrible things and been a part of such horrible things that they felt a lot of shame when it came to uh, their relationship with God. And again, they kept him more at arm's length. Some of you may be able to relate to this. Or maybe you had a father who was kind of distant. And maybe your mom was the one that was more active in church. But we see it not just in men, but in women and all of us that we keep God at a distance. Well, uh, C.S. Lewis has a great quote that kind of sums up, I think, going after the wrong things in life. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Michael W. Smith gives us hope, though. He was a Christian singer in the 1980s, um, 90s, still does uh, uh, music today. But he said, what if there is more to life than living and dying? Well, this morning, uh, we're going to look at the character of Peter. And Peter gives us all great hope. Because Peter was somebody who messed up. But then we see a change, a midlife crisis in his life, where uh, his life was never the same after he met the resurrected Lord. He's going to bring us hope because we realize that we don't just have to live lives where we know the information, but can be lived out in our heart and lived out into the world. You know, one of the reasons I like Peter so much is this. He reminds me a lot of the high school students I work with. We took some middle school kids to Windy Gap recently, and the lake was about 30 degrees. I told them the heater in the lake was broken. Some of them still believe me. They're asking me about that heater still. Where's that heater? Was it broken? But anyway... They were going down the slide, the zip line. The water was arctic cold, and they're like, I'm going in. If we're allowed to go in, I'm jumping two feet in all the way. Well, Peter was a lot like that. He was always the first one to do things, but sometimes it got him in trouble. He was the first one uh, to want to walk in the water with Jesus. Then all of a sudden, he freaked out and can't swim. Jesus had to rescue him. On the mountain, he was the one who wanted power. He wanted to you know, just kind of hang up up there and be Jesus' right-hand man. And then he told Jesus, he said, look, I'm never going to leave you. I'm with you to the end. Nothing is going to separate me from you. I'm with you. I'm in. But then when the going got tough, when the soldiers came and took Jesus away, Peter and the rest of the disciples fled. And not only did he run away, but he was waiting by a, uh, a fire one evening, and three times he denied Jesus. Did you know Jesus? No, I didn't know him. You sure sound, looked like that guy. wasn't me. Three times. So then, ashamed and bewildered uh, about what he had done, the disciples kind of gathered back together and tried to get on with their lives. And I think for them, it it probably was similar to uh, when Jesus was crucified and before he had risen, 
I'm sure it was kind of like if you've ever seen the movie Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump uh, started this campaign where he started running, kind of deal with his grief. Pretty soon he had more and more people follow him. And then one day he just got tired of running and he stopped. And he stops and you see this group of people all just stop at the same time. And Forrest, you know, not very smart, but, you know, full of heart, just goes, I'm tired, I'm stopping, I'm not going to run anymore. And this one guy, I still remember from the movie, says, now what are we supposed to do? And he doesn't say anything, he just walks away. Well, for them, maybe they felt slightly like that. Now what are we supposed to do? And then maybe like the book, uh, On the Beach, by Neville Shute I was talking about, they were feel fearful for their lives. They realized, well, Jesus was crucified, it's just a matter of time Will they know that we were with them. And we might uh, have a similar fate or prison at the very least. But then the unthinkable happens. Jesus rises from the dead. First he appears to Mary Magdalene. Then he appears uh, to the disciples while they're in the upper room having a meal. Then later they, he appears to Doubting Thomas, as uh, Greg uh, preached last week about. And those first two times, the first thing he said to his disciples is he's like, forgiveness is available in my name. You guys are going to be a part of this ministry of forgiveness. Then he tells Thomas, he says, Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe that life is found in my name. So they're going to be not only a part of this ministry of forgiveness, but this ministry of proclamation, of telling people about faith and telling people that life is found in his name. And then finally in our story this morning, Jesus appears to Peter and a few fishermen. They've seen Jesus twice, and I still think they know they have this ministry, but it's kind of like, okay, what are we supposed to do? Well, let's go fishing because we're good at that. So they're out there fishing, catching nothing all night. They see a familiar silhouette on the beach, and he calls them. He says, have you caught anything? And they're like, no, we haven't caught anything. Throw your nets to the other side of the boat. All of a sudden, the net is weighed down. More fish they can imagine. And John recognizes that it's Jesus. He says, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Peter, same guy who's always jumping with both feet in, jumps in the water, swims 100 yards uh, to Jesus and right there you got to love Jesus rather than being on a mountain or proclaiming uh, you know some sermon and all formal he's made breakfast breakfast for them on the beach so they're having a barbecue on the beach by some hot coals sitting around talking and as they're talking he looks at Peter and he says do you love me more than these now scholars and theologians are divided on what exactly this meant but what I believe that he was saying is he's probably looking at the fish which back then 153 fish that they caught that's a lot of money He's probably saying, do you love me more than this? Peter may have in his mind been thinking, hmm, this is pretty good. I could have my own fishing company. Jesus and Peter, I have a little Christian fish on the side of my boat, and uh, we're going to catch a lot of fish, make a lot of money. But Jesus brings them back down to earth. He says, do you love me more than these? Then two more times he asked me, do you love me? Do you love me? Each time Peter says, Lord, I, you know I love you. You know I love you. Third time he's reminded, I'm sure even more so, that he had denied Jesus three times. But Jesus, as he is saying this, he's commissioning to him. He's not saying you're not worthy. He's saying you are worthy. You're worthy of forgiveness. And the other thing, if you remember, Peter denied Jesus by a fire, and now by a fire, he's recommissioned. He's reignited that his ministry is just beginning. It didn't end when he messed up, when he had his midlife crisis. Now it's time for him to live out the faith. And the ministry that Peter was to be about was going to be about three things. Forgiveness, proclamation that life is found in Jesus' name. And then the third thing, it's a mission of following, 
day after day. And the evidence we have of this, that Peter wasn't just a mountaintop experience, is found in his letters. And I'm going to read you two excerpts from these letters that indicate a man that just wasn't following Christ out of guilt, or it wasn't up in his head, but it was in his heart. It was a man who understood that he was forgiven, who understood that life, eternal life, resurrected life was found in Jesus, and that he wants each of us to follow him. Let me read you the, uh, the excerpts. The first one is uh, found in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, uh, and it's or 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. He says this, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing, pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here you have a humble guy that understands that life is not forever. A matter of fact, Jesus indicated to him that he was going to most likely uh, suffer a crucifixion from all indications, and Peter later did this. When Jesus said, follow me the third time, it wasn't like everything's going to be great. He understood that he was going to uh, die by following Christ. But here's the thing, and Greg said this in sermons, and all of you know this, whether you are in denial or not, one and one of us here are going to die. The similar fate awaits us all. But Peter understood that I don't want to miss out on the one who rose again. That this eternal life thing is real, and it begins now. And I want to, do not want to miss out on sharing my own life with other people. A humble guy, he had messed up, had his midlife crisis, but that became his story and his passion as he shared the gospel with so many people and became the pillar from which the church was built. The other verse I wanted to read uh, from Peter, uh, which is very... Uh, uh, inspirational is this. He says in Second Peter, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Let me read that last line. They have forgotten that they have cleansed from their past sins. You see, Peter was somebody, forgiveness was not just up here he knew. He understood that he didn't need to live in shame, that he had been forgiven. So his message of love and forgiveness and that life is only found in Jesus' name had become a reality in his life. And his whole mission in life was to make that a reality in others. Now for you sitting here today, there's many of us who are believers, are seekers, and oftentimes our lives can be, as I said earlier, pushing God and keeping him at arm's length. Well, the good news from Peter is we don't need to live that way, that our lives can be transformed just like his was. The reason I have the Isaiah passage that Edie read is because I feel like this gives us great encouragement that we're not on our own, that this is not a performance, this is a relationship. And by having a tight relationship with God, you can be about a life that is filled with forgiveness, not only toward uh, yourself and the things you've done, but extend it to other people.
that you can have a life of faith that's growing and not just stunted at one mountaintop experience. And that you can bring other people to Christ by your example, by following him and proclaiming this message to other people. And in Isaiah 40, it says, to, uh, it, says, young, it says, Even though young men stumble and fall, those who hope in the Lord, he will renew their strength and they will mount up on wings like eagles. Now I read this passage to you uh, for this reason. Because anybody here watch the animal planet? I know some of you may when you're bored watching TV. But eagles are pretty amazing creatures. And I told my high school youth group this story last week, um, but I'll tell you kind of a, a briefer version of the story. When the uh, mother eagle is teaching the little eaglets to fly, things all of a sudden go crazy. At first, the little eaglets are all sitting up in the nest. They got their toys, their pine cones, little trinkets that dad has brought there, and they're hanging out. Life is good. And then one day, things change. Mom starts tossing all the toys out of the nest. The little eaglets are looking up and go, oh, mom's gone crazy. What's going on? Who did what? It doesn't stop there. All of a sudden, she grabs the first little eaglet, pushes the little eaglet to the side of the nest. And remember, eagles make their nests in high places, oftentimes on cliffs. And then she pushes the little eaglet off the nest. He's flapping his little wings. He's flying down at you know, record speed. And just when he thinks he's about to splat the ground, the father eagle comes, catches him on his wings, brings him back up to the nest, and they keep doing this over and over again until the little eaglets learn to fly. You all, just like the little eaglets, are not on your own. It's not a fly-or-die kind of faith. It's not perform or get kicked out of the family. God is with you. He is with you in life and in death. This world is not it. Our prayer book says this at the end of the catechism. The question is this, what then is our assurance as Christians? This is on page 862. Our assurance as Christians Christians is that nothing, not even death, shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. See, Peter understood that. Some of you all have gone through incredible pain and suffering in life, have seen incredible loss. But our hope as Christians and our hope to bring to the world that this is not it. You see, as Christians... All of us should be Easter people. It's not just something we celebrate every year. The hope of the resurrection needs to become a reality in everyone's life. It did for Peter. He saw it with his own eyes. And for Thomas as well. But remember what the Lord says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I want to leave you a, uh, a final story before I come to my conclusion. And I shared this a a few years ago, and it may have been with the church, may have been with the youth group. There was an inner city group that came to the camp I was working at one summer, and one of the kids, I'll never forget his name, it was Shamari, only Shamari I've never met. He lived in the projects in Richmond. If you've been around Richmond, Virginia, their projects are not very good. Not that projects normally are, but these were extra rough. Uh, A lot of murders and shootings. And he had told his youth pastor that he couldn't sleep at night. He had seen people get shot and killed in his neighborhood, and it was a war zone in there, literally. Well, his uh, youth leader, not really knowing what to say besides I'll pray for you, said, why don't you start reading the Bible at night? He said he started reading the Bible, and it not only transformed him to come to faith, he slept for the first time in years. And that continued night after night that he'd get on his knees and read the Bible and pray. Now, our lives aren't like Shamari's, um, as far as I know. But all of us have struggles, and all of us have uh, tough times. Embrace the reality of the resurrection a relationship with God, the forgiveness is available to him. In our church, there are many opportunities for us to uh, grow in our faith. 
for the discovery class with Greg to our Wednesday nights to Sunday mornings to small groups, mission trips. All these things are great. There's also the times that you guys have the opportunity to have a personal time with God. Some of them call it a quiet time or devotion time. Don't miss out on growing in your faith. So that way you can be hope to a world that often like this novel is just trying to fill their lives with trivial things and stay busy because they don't have any hope of what comes after death. The, uh, the final thing I will say is uh, if you're discouraged about your own life or the way uh, you've been living, think of the example of Peter. Your lives can be transformed. Think of the life of uh, Shamari, who felt no peace but found peace, the real peace that Jesus brings on this side of heaven. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that there's hope for all of us. I thank you uh, that you appeared to the disciples. You taught them that we are going to be a part of a ministry of forgiveness, of proclamation that life is found in your name. And that our job, just like Peter, is to follow you the best we can. And then the best news of all, Lord, is it's not fly or die. You do not leave us on our own, but you are with us. And that not even death can separate us from a relationship with you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.